0: I think we should get started. Well, my name is Bevan Yu. I am the professor and chair of the Department of Otolaryngology and Head and Neck Surgery here at the University of Minnesota. I'm also uh, the Associate Dean for Strategy and Innovation for our medical school. Um, and it's just an absolute pleasure to welcome all of you to come to our second annual uh, vestibular conference. Um, It's my pleasure to introduce uh, Jim Hanlon, which I will do in just a little bit, but I just wanted to thank all of you uh, for coming, and I hope that you'll find this conference uh, very helpful. Uh, For me, um, I have a wife who suffers from vestibular disorders, and so I'm intimately familiar with this uh, disease. I don't think I need to tell all of you uh, what this is like, Um, But but it's also always struck me that a disease that is otherwise invisible, except when you're having a spell, uh, can cause so much devastation to a person's life. Um, It affects your function. It takes away your vitality. It takes away your happiness. Um, And uh, and yet people don't know about it. People don't talk about it because you can't see it. It's not a test or a disease that can be measured with a blood level. It doesn't show up on an x-ray it doesn't show up on a ct scan you certainly can't see it with an ultrasound and so it's important that all of us in this community work together to try and advance our understanding Uh, this conference this morning is really dedicated to trying to help uh raise awareness uh, and we hope that you will go out and tell people about what we're trying to do here Uh, but it's also meant to help all of you Uh, we have therapists here we have medical experts here we have Wellness people here. We have people who offer uh, complementary and alternative medicine approaches to this disease. Uh, and I think it'll be helpful to all of you. And I think we'll certainly all learn a lot from today. Um, in our department, I, I think it's important to know that we've really tried to make an initiative over the last three years of bringing vestibular disorders to the forefront. Um, many of you may not know, I'm a former engineer. Um, and in my prior life, I was very interested in making devices. and we have a tremendous uh, a vestibular device a program going on in our department that Dr. Adams uh, helps lead, and you'll be hearing from her later on today. Uh, but more importantly and more immediately, um, we are now beginning to establish a vestibular center of excellence. Uh, we recruited Dr. Cha uh, to help work with Dr. Adams and our audiologists and our neurologists and our all kinds of physicians uh, to develop a center that will take care of people with vestibular disorders. Um, these are not uh, well-known across the country, and we hope to be in a leadership position to be able to deliver that level of quality, of, that level and quality of care uh, to people who have the diseases that you all know so intimately. Um, anyway, I won't speak for very long because there's other people up here who know a lot more about the disease, um, and I want to get them going. Uh, the first person I, of course, want to mention is Jim Hanlon. Uh, Jim uh, came to me. We've known each other for many years, but probably about three, four years ago, he had this idea to do this, and last year we had our first conference, which was very successful, and this year is our second. Uh, Jim, uh, I think the best way to describe my impression of Jim is Jim just shows what a difference one person can make. Um, Some of us feel like there's not much that we can do to influence the direction of a disease or or a community, but Jim has shown that just one person can make a huge difference. Uh, He's influenced people here from our theater, to our uh, our philanthropy, to our scientists, uh, and it's a true credit to him for his leadership and his um, inspiration to mobilize an entire community. So if one person can make a difference, just imagine what impact a room full of people or a community full of people can truly uh, have in altering uh, the course of this disease. So, Jim. I'd like to introduce you, and I'm sure you'll introduce the conference, but thank you, Jim, uh, for coming.
1: Thank you, Dr. Yu. Um, some thank yous right off the top uh, before I get to the introductions. Um, first is that after the conference last year, um, Dr. Yu and Dr. Adams and um, Dr. Yu's um, administrative people from the department, we met and said, "Let's let's give this another try. And um, it's a big undertaking. And so it kind of comes down to some firsts. As far as we know, this conference last year and this year is the only patient-centered vestibular conference in the United States. Maybe others, but um, um, nobody knows about it, I don't think. And I don't think, yeah, okay. So it's it's a really big deal. That you're here. Oops. I'm to do this. Yeah. Okay. That's so that the CIA can spy on me. <laughs> um. So I, uh, Dr. Yu deserves a great deal of credit for putting the the weight of the department behind this. I would not be able to call people and say hey, let's get together on a Saturday in September and make this happen. It's because there's an academic support for it from the institution that that makes a difference. And Dr. Adams has been um, unfailing in her support and suggestion. And the two of them together would say, why don't you contact this person? Why don't you contact this person? And that's how we started pulling in speakers for this year. So thank you to them. Um, Nathan Brown is sitting over there. Raise your hand, Nathan. He is the, um, the, the officer for the University Foundation. And last year, the foundation is the organization that really put it on. And this year, they were behind. Um, they didn't give the same level of support, but they could not. So this year, they're behind the scenes. And they're the ones who are responsible for sending out the email. And Nathan has been um, terrific behind the scenes, so thank you to them. Um, a few other people emerged after the session last year. We asked people to say, would you be interested in volunteering for this year? And one of those people was Cheryl Powers, who's right down here, raise your hand. And she put together the volunteer team to handle today's event and support along the way. And there were some low moments this year, and Cheryl was um, said. Let me talk you up a little bit, and she would, and she would give me the perspective to continue on. Um, the person who is probably most responsible for making this happen this year is Pamela Bach. Pam, where are you? There she is, over there. After the conference last year, several of us went to the Tea House, my favorite restaurant in the Twin Cities, if you've never been there, right over here on University Avenue, and um, During that, she said, I would like to fund next year's conference. And we need to rent McNamara. We need to pay D'Amico's. We need to pay for an event organizer and all of those things. And single-handedly, Pam um, sponsored this year's conference. So thank you, a deep, deep thank you for that. So these are the firsts that this conference is. It's the first patient-centered conference, as I said, in the nation. It's the first and I think only medical um, event sponsored at the university that is not, uh, I'm not on the medical, I'm not on any faculty here. <laughs> but um, because Dr. Yu said he would throw the weight of the department behind it, it has the weight of the medical school behind it. But um, you know, it's really amazing to plan a conference and have the medical school behind it when it's not the doctors there. The same thing from the university foundation. They don't have any other events that are not planned by the foundation that they support. So it's really um, it's amazing to have that kind of support for this, this event. They know how important this is. They've heard me harangue about it, how important it is. Um, it's exactly what Dr. Yu said, and I don't know how many of you were down in bed yesterday, but I was in bed for nine hours yesterday and not, not able to move until about three o'clock in the afternoon. Um, today, I'm all right, and you guys know what that's like. One day you can't function, the next day you can function. Um, as I was even just driving in this morning, there was a cop car on the side of the road. I've got to hold my hand over my eyes so those flashing lights don't put me in the ditch. And those guardrails they have between um, lanes now on the highway and the, uh, the lights are on the other side from the oncoming cars. It's horrible trying to drive with those things on the road. So all of us have different triggers, but we're among friends. We know how difficult this is conference really came about because I love to hike on the Appalachian Trail and um, three years ago I was just walking on the Appalachian Trail and saying we got to do something like this and that's when I came back to Dr. Yu and he said yeah let's do it and so I um, people say how can you hike on the Appalachian Trail and I say I can lie down at home or I can lie down in my tent on the Appalachian Trail." And people literally come by and knock on the top of the tent and say, are you all right? And I say, yeah, I'm just dizzy. Um, This year I hiked from Dalton, Massachusetts to um, up into the White Mountains in New Hampshire. And I was going across the bridge one day, and it was a suspension bridge. A hiker came running from the other side, and the bridge started swaying. And I was down on my knees and had to crawl to the other side of the bridge and lie there for a couple hours before I could stand up again. Um, I can do that on the Appalachian Trail, or I can do that in my house. I'd rather do it on the Appalachian Trail. And the problem for me is never the Appalachian Trail. The problem is trying to make it through the airports. And I don't know how many people have problems in airports. I've got to get in a wheelchair, and I'll tell you how funny it seems to sit in a wheelchair with your backpack on your lap, being wheeled through the airport to get to TSA, and they're looking at you like, "What? What are? You, what kind of scheme are you pulling to make it through TSA?" Um, but they meet me at the car. TSA cares. Meet you at the car, and they help you get through the airport. So. Um, the speakers this year are an incredible lineup of speakers. Just just amazing people. Jay Del Carmen is here. Jay, raise your hand. It's right back over there. Has been doing vestibular therapy at Fairview Hospital for over 20 years and has just the brightest spirit to talk to and agree to do this. Um, just a wonderful person. Thank you for being here. Um, Cheryl Powers and uh, Barbara Davis are going to do Tai Chi and um, for relaxation and balance. And I must say, my wife and I, she said, why don't we th- try Tai Chi, which we did at Stillwater Medical Clinic. And for three weeks in a row, I ended up on the floor and not being able to move. So Tai Chi and me don't have a terrific relation, but I've talked to many vestibular people, and it's a, a wonderful thing for them. So, that session will be very good. Meredith Adams is on the National um, Otolaryngology Committee that is studying um, Meniere's disease, and she's here today to talk about the latest findings and best practices for that. Um, Carter McNamara came to my attention last winter, I think. Somebody said Carter was struggling with Meniere's disease. And one of the things that I've done since uh, retiring because of uh, the disability of this from teaching music at Stillwater was I feel I can talk to people any time of day or night because I can always sleep the next day. So I called Carter and um, he and his wife, Terry, who's back there, Carter is sick today, but he and his wife, Terry, and I met out in St. Louis Park, I think, and we had a wonderful discussion and he didn't know about this, But as we talked, he said, well, we run this authenticity consulting. How many countries are you in? They're they're all over the world. And um, they said, we work with businesses and other organizations on really listening to each other. We'd like to run a session and help people organize their listening skills. And so there's going to be talking and listening in that session. And it's just self-organized. Terry will be in there and give some basic ground rules, and then it's for people to talk. Dr. Yunhee Cha is new on the faculty here. She and I met Thursday and snuck into one of these rooms. She's an amazing person, academic, intellect, caring human being, um, she'll be showing up for her session. I don't think she made it here yet. Oh, there she is. Sorry, I didn't see you come in. Um, raise your hand so people can see. Yeah, there. Um, she's new to the faculty, University of Minnesota, Mayo-trained neurology, and um, has that that feeling of empathy with people, and that's what we look for in, in our professionals. Kathleen Strauss, I, where are you? There she is. Over there, next to Jay, um, she's from Houston. She's on the VITA board, and we'll be running a session on the complementary, alternative um, medical approaches and other types of approaches to um, vestibular disorders. We've had two wonderful talks. Once I figured out that when I blocked the phone number that I didn't know was her. Because I thought it was, you know, somebody else telling me my computer would be stopped and the FBI would be at my door in the next five minutes. We finally were able to talk, and she was persistent in getting through to me. Um, so let's talk about Vita just a second. If you're not familiar with Vita, they have a lot of information over here. Michelle is at that table. It's the largest, and I think most reputable vestibular organization in the United States. They have a great medical advisory board. They have an incredible um, effort to reach out about vestibular problems. Their executive director is right here, Cynthia Ryan, and board president, Holly, is right there. They will be giving the keynote in just a second. If you're not on the VITA website, it's listed on the back of the program. Go bookmark it, go through all of the different things, and the sessions today, most of them will be recorded to be put up on podcasts on their site so that it can be shared with people all over the United States and literally all over the world. One last thing, two last things, Um, the OWL Awards. If you weren't here last year, you're thinking, what's an OWL Award? When I was hiking along the trail, I'm thinking we ought to recognize people who listen to vestibular people. So I was trying to think, what should we call that? And I went, well, of course, one who listens. And I went, O-W-L, one who listens is an owl. (laughs) And um, my, are you in here? She's right back there. Um, Her name surfaced as a graphic designer, and she's the one who designed the program. But she also, if you look at the front of the program together, um, the little tiny V is supposed to be both an owl's face and a V for vestibular. And if you look at that front of that program, there's all kinds of Vs for vestibular that show up. So the owl award this year um, will be presented at the end of the the conference and very worthy um, recipient. Lastly... Um, Over on that table is Twin Cities Adaptive Cycling. And I ride a recumbent so that I can put my feet down and slide when I get dizzy with a cop car going past me or whatever. And um, if you've not been on a bike, it's terrific exercise. They have 24 different adaptive bicycles to help people with all kinds of things. It's free. They have rides every Saturday on the Greenway. You can just go to their website and sign up to, be, to use one of those bikes. Go and see what they are. It feels so good to get back on a bike and exercise if that's something that um, you haven't done. Most of them are not two-wheel. Most of them are three-wheel. They have people that can ride behind you and power the bike. And they were going to come today, and then they needed to back out. But there's some brochures right over there. And um, so I encourage you to um, get involved in that, because exercise is really important when you have vestibular diseases. So we were thinking about a keynote this year, and I wanted to, wait, before I do that, the sessions are um, 45 to 50 minutes long. The presenters are doing 20 to 25 minutes. The rest of the session is for you to ask questions. This is not just a presentation. You need to... Speak what's on your mind, questions that have been raised, things that have been bothering you, things that you might want to share, and ask the presenters. It should be a two-way thing. So when you do that, you either either need to come up and use a mic and the room monitors, the room people will move around to you or we'll ask the speakers to repeat the question, in particular in Minnesota room because there's not a microphone set up in there. So please do that. So Cynthia and I were talking about the conference, and I was kind of like, we had tried to get a really famous person who has Meniere's to come, it didn't work out, he's in England, doing something with the Beatles celebration right now. Didn't work out this year, but maybe in the future. So Cynthia and I were just talking and kind of, I don't know, arrived at the same moment, said, why doesn't she talk? about that. And she said, well, maybe me and Holly could talk about working to treat um, vestibular illnesses as serious, which of course they are, serious um, medical and emotional, psychological issues. So both here and in the session that she will be in on caregiving, which came up last year on the evaluations, um, said somebody said, let's have something for caregivers. And I tried Minnesota Department of Health and the University Psychiatry Division and Wilder Foundation. There is really nothing for people who care for spouses and partners with vestibular disorders. So in that session today, we're gonna start the first national effort at defining what it means to live with somebody with a vestibular disorder. And so people who are caregivers, partners, spouses, we really want you to be in that session, and Cynthia will be guiding that. So Cynthia and Holly, welcome to Minnesota. They had their national conference here with their board of directors from around the United States to coincide with this. Welcome. We look forward to your speech.
2: Thanks so much, Jim. And I just want to thank Jim again for, putting, for coming up with this idea and making it happen. No one else. As Jim said, around the country has had this idea or the, the, the chutzpah, if I will say so, to, to really put this together and make it happen. Um, so, again, I'm Cynthia Ryan. I'm the executive director of the Vestibular Disorders Association. I'm so happy to be here with you today. Um, I want to tell you a little bit about VITA. We'll start by telling you a little bit about VITA. Some of you may have been to our website, some of you may be familiar with VITA's programs. Our primary mission is to support and empower vestibular patients on your journey back to balance. So it really is about you. And we were talking about this yesterday at our board retreat. What, what is our main strength? What does VITA, what, what do we really focus on? What should we focus on? And it just kept coming back to the patient. And, and ex- being able to speak to the vestibular patient experience, to, to validate the vestibular patient experience, and to be the voice for the vestibular patient experience so that others can understand what you're going through. So, um, you know, the, the ultimate goal is to get faster diagnosis for vestibular patients because we know that it takes, um, it, it can take, well, six months a year, 10 years for some patients to get a diagnosis. And the patients that I've talked to have said that they have visited, and we'll get to that also, um, three to 10 doctors before they actually get a diagnosis. So we're, our goal is to make sure that you are validated in your experience and that you're getting the help that you need to get an accurate diagnosis quickly So that you don't have to suffer alone, and that you're getting effective treatment. I don't have to tell you why this is important, but I think it's really interesting to see some of these statistics. You know, vestibular disorders are invisible. We don't know. We don't. We don't. You know, I, I look out in this room, and I know that all of you have some connection. But when you go to the grocery store or you go to a restaurant. We look around and count one, two, three. One, two, three. Every third person will experience some sort of vestibular dysfunction in their lifetime, and one in ten people will go on to experiencing a serious or chronic vestibular problem. And those are big numbers. You know, that is a lot more people than you would think, especially when you, again, you're at the grocery store, and, uh, and you, uh, when I'm at the grocery store, I say, well, I, you know, I, I'm the executive director of the Vestibular Disorders Association, and they say, vestibular what? You know, they, the, the term vestibular is not well known, but when you say balance and dizziness, they're like, oh, yeah, I know somebody. Everybody knows somebody who has experienced this in some way. Um, we know that vestibular disorders impact people more than just on a physical level. It's more than just the dizziness, the imbalance, the, the vertigo, the nausea, it's the anxiety. That's the number one thing that I hear from vestibular patients is, is the anxiety that that is accompanied by, by their condition. Depression is often associated with vestibular disorders because of the impact it has on your quality of life, on your sense of self, on your relationships with others, and social isolation because you can't do the things that you used to be able to do and eventually friends stop inviting you. Um, I I know this very well because my mother has a vestibular disorder. Uh, she's, She's had Meniere's for 30 years and i 've seen her go from uh, a very gregarious and outgoing person to um, to being homebound because she can't get around you know she is at that stage where she um, she 's dizzy all the time it's you know it's not episodic anymore it's it's chronic uh, and she has to hold on walls. she uses a walker she can 't hear and um, you know it's hard for her to be. It's hard for her to have a one on one conversation uh, and impossible for her to be in groups. So it's you know it's very difficult for someone who is very gregarious and wants to wants to be with others. so i I know how it impacts the lives of patients and and their loved ones, carers as we're as the the term that we're using, um, because you're not necessarily a caregiver, you don't necessarily, sometimes, you know, you are responsible for, uh, for helping the patient to, to do daily things or maybe you just have to take on more responsibility in the household, um, but it impacts you as much as the patient in some way. Um, we also know that there are a limited number of vestibular specialists out there, to, so that, and, and that is why, it takes so long for vestibular patients to get diagnosed. Um, and oftentimes, I'm sure each of you has experienced this. You've gone to the, your doctor. They told you, you have a vestibular disorder, and there's nothing you can do about it. You just have to learn to live with it. And that's not true. And, and some of the speakers to, here today are going to talk to you about conventional therapies like vestibular rehabilitation therapy, and less conventional therapies like complementary and alternative medicine, things that you can do maybe not to cure your disorder, but to help you learn to, uh, to, to live a full life um, and, uh, and, and learn how to cope with it. So again, we're talking about the impacts. The impact that vestibular disorders have on society And it's more than just the medical costs, but that is a part of it. I think more importantly is the impact that vestibular disorders have on you, on the vestibular patients, and on your families. I can't tell you how many people I've talked to who have said that they can no longer work, they can no longer drive, they can't even go shopping for themselves. And that has an impact on on how they feel about themselves, and it has an impact on uh, on their friends and family as well. So the question is what can we do about it? How do we improve the quality of care for vestibular patients? And this isn't a simple question and I'm not gonna answer it in <laughs> these 10 minutes. Um, but I think one of the things that vita has done that we have found is so important is to educate patients and their families about their condition when you go to your doctor you've got 5 or 10 minutes that's not long and if you are if your doctor is loading you with information that you don't understand and maybe you're having a bad brain fog day and you can't absorb it, you're not going to be able to advocate for yourself and your health care. You're gonna go home and you're gonna be like, what, I, I don't remember everything that they said and I didn't understand it. And you're at the mercy then of the medical system. But I will tell you that vestibular patients who are educated about their condition get better care. When you go to Vita's website, where we have over 100 scientifically validated articles about vestibular disorders, and you read about Meniere's disease, and you read about BPPV, and you read about how vestibular disorders are diagnosed and what the treatment options are, then you can go to your doctor with questions. And you can get those questions answered And by advocating for yourself and your health care, you can better manage your health and you can get better answers. Support, both for patients and for friends and family. VITA has both in-person and online support groups. And I have talked to so many people who have, First of all, when, when we also have a patient support coordinator. So if you call Vita, you would talk to Nicole, and Nicole would guide you through the steps that you need to take to learn about your disorder and to get care, to get connected with vestibular specialists. The first thing that most people say when they speak to Nicole is, oh my God, I thought I was alone. I thought I was the only one dealing with this. And when they get connected, when they, when they have their experience validated and they get connected with others, which is what we are here today to do, who have experienced the same thing, they inevitably, they say, I've come home. This is my community, these are my people, they understand me. There's a Facebook group uh, that one of uh, our ambassadors leads. His name's David Morrell, and he's a saint. He's a vestibular patient and um, pretty much volunteers full time uh, to help other vestibular patients uh, and increase awareness about vestibular disorders. And uh, when, I, when I go to that Facebook group and I, I read the conversations that people are having um, about their conditions. Sometimes someone has a question. You know, this this happened to me today. Has it ever happened to you? And there'll be a whole slew of responses from other people who have had that same experience and can share what they've done to to cope with it. Um, And sometimes people just go there and they say, I'm having a bad day and I just need help. And people are there to help, to provide support and to let you know that you're not alone. Public awareness is also so important to make vestibular visible. Vestibular disorders are invisible, and people don't, know, they don't understand that term. I liken it to celiac disease. Ten years ago, no one knew what celiac was. And today, every grocery store has a whole aisle of gluten-free food. People know that celiac equals gluten-free. People need to know that vestibular equals balance and dizziness. And we can make that happen. But it's a grassroots effort. We all have to be talking about it. We have to be sharing our stories. That's how we increase awareness. We also need to be advocating for changes to the system, to the medical system, to the insurance system, to the disability system. We know that it takes a long time for vestibular disorders to get diagnosed, and we know that oftentimes what happens is patients go to the emergency room with dizziness or vertigo. And life-threatening conditions are ruled out, and they're sent home with meclizine and told to see their primary care provider. They go to their primary care provider, and their primary care provider says, dizziness, well, you know, it could be this, it could be that. It'll probably go away on its own and it doesn't. So what we need to do is we need to help primary care providers differentiate between vestibular and non-vestibular forms of dizziness and get patients referred to the appropriate specialist because that's where patients are going to get an accurate diagnosis. We also know that a lot of times patients go to uh, their doctor and the tests that are required to diagnose them are not covered by insurance or they're not sufficiently covered or they're not covered by a particular medical specialty. We know that these are problems and we know that we need to change that system. We need to make sure that vestibular tests and treatments are covered by insurance so that all vestibular specialists can give patients the care that they need. I don't know how many of you here um, uh, have had to stop working because of your vestibular disorder, uh, but I talk to patients all the time who have said that I, I had to, uh, at, at any stage, and you know, we're talking, vestibular disorders are not, do not discriminate based on age. You know, I I talked to um, a woman, this this past week was Balance Awareness Week, and I talked to to two mothers who have um, children, ages two and five, uh, who were born with vestibular problems. Um, And these children are learning, yeah, these children are, you know, delayed in many ways, learning to live with them, um, and just vestibular heroes, troopers. Uh, I also have, we have volunteers who are in their 20s, so it's, you know, it's not based on age, but um, there are people of, of all ages who cannot work because of their vestibular disorder, and yet they don't qualify for disability, or it's made very difficult. So it's important to make sure that vestibular disorders are recognized as a disability, not only for their physical impacts, but for how they impact the life of the vestibular patient. So these are things that Vita has been working on. Uh, We're going to continue working on. These are our core programs, Um, but we can't stop there. We know that there's more that needs to be done. We're a very small organization. We're Mm -hmm. only five employees, and yet we reach across the world. Uh, And we know that we need to have a larger impact and so um, I'd like to introduce you to Holly Fisher the president of our board of directors who's going to share a little bit more with you about some transformational initiatives that we have been talking about at our board retreat this weekend that we think could make a huge impact on vestibular disorders and improve the care for vestibular patients. Holly.
3: Hi, I'm Holly Fisher. Uh, She mentioned I'm the president of the board of the Vestibular Disorders Association. Um, I'm also a vestibular patient and um, I'm really, really proud to support this organization. They helped me through some of my darkest, darkest times. Um, I'll share a little personal story. Um, I have malda debarkment and vestibular migraine and I was working in a very high-powered job and when this started happening to me, I actually thought I was losing my mind because people would tell me something, and then I'd walk away, and I had no memory of what we had said, and I thought, I'm 38, and I have early onset Alzheimer's? What's happening to me? I'm losing my mind, and at some point, one of my doctors handed me a Vita article about the cognitive impacts of vestibular disorders, and I started reading how this is really related to the fact that my poor brain is trying so hard to balance that it cannot remember some of these other things happening. And it was huge and important. And this organization helped me a great deal. Um, And so I'm very happy to be a part of it. Um, As you just heard from Cynthia, we're doing a lot already to try to support our patients, their caregivers, and professionals um, to have the materials and the information they need. Um, But we also know that there are 69 million sufferers out there. We, we reach a lot of people. Our website actually reaches about 3 million people, which is wonderful, but there's so much more to do. So we've had a, a recent opportunity um, to do a feasibility study to look at are there some, do we have the support, do we have the capacity within our donor base to do a few major gifts campaigns to fund some big transformational programs that could happen over the next few years and I wanted to share with you a couple of these ideas and I hope you find them exciting and if you want to hear more and you want to talk to us about it, we'd love to hear from you. Um, But here's a few things that we're thinking about. Uh, One of the ideas that we've talked about is just this idea of making vestibular visible. So we all know we talked about the lack of awareness of the word and we do a lot to communicate and share, but how much more could we do if we had the ability to engage an actual PR and marketing firm that help could help us figure out the right way to use the right tools to reach more of those people. So that's one of those things that we would love to be able to do. Um, but on some other ideas, we've talked about uh, a rapid diagnosis toolkit. We talked about the importance of primary care physicians where they're the first place that people go. Some of our medical professionals involved with Vita have actually started to develop a triage protocol for primary care doctors. A series of questions that they can use with their patient to try to get to the point of not necessarily diagnosing, but understanding the right next professional that that person has to be referred to. We have that in place. What we would like to be able to do is to push that out in a big way. To first do a trial with a major physician's group and have them vet it and make sure it's working and then to actually roll it out through major communications, through training sessions perhaps, at different medical groups, um, or perhaps to start incorporating it in some of the AI tools or diagnosis tools that doctors already have in their systems as they're meeting with patients. Uh, another thing we're talking about is telehealth. Telehealth is definitely coming. It's happening in a lot of places, and it is a potential for vestibular patients. We mentioned the lack of vestibular specialists. Some people are very are nowhere near a vestibular specialist where they live, or even if they are, it might be very difficult for them to get to them because of their symptoms. So. We would like to be developing protocols and guidelines and implementation templates for those providers and physicians groups who either do telehealth now and would like to add vestibular to that or in a state where they have the potential to do that where the state laws will allow that. Um, And if we could do development of those protocols and those informations, have that tested again and then start to offer that to providers, um, we could then be designated Designating on our list of providers who gives telehealth, who has the ability to deliver telehealth, so that our patients can know hey, I can't get there, but here's somebody within my state who could actually perhaps help me with my physical therapy through telehealth. And then it was interesting to hear the discussion about the Balance Center of Excellence plans here, because one of the things we know very much is that patients who are treated by a group of collaborating professionals are much more likely to get much better results faster. Um, if a patient can see not only their neurologist and their neurotologist, but a PT, an audiologist, a variety of people, and there's a coordinated effort, they're much more likely to get better. Um, there are some centers out there, and Vita's medical professionals have helped us understand different models for a balanced center of excellence. Um, some of that all being under. Of one roof or some of it may be, you know, connections between different providers. But what we would like to be able to do is to give providers a detailed business and implementation plan that would help them be prepared to execute on creating such a center of excellence, so that we can have more and more of them available in different regions of the country so more patients are being treated better, um, more completely. Um, and, again, if we had that information, we, we as VITA could be recognizing those centers, communicating the availability of those centers um, on our website and in our listings of providers. Um, so those are just a few ideas that we have that we're hoping that we can find the support of in our community and maybe make some really big pushes and some big changes. Um, I want to encourage you to reach out to us if you haven't already, if you want to hear more about these programs or anything we do, our website is here, our phone number is here, um, and we would love to talk to you. Um, And I'm also encouraging you uh, to get involved. So we're really grateful to be here today, and I hope that each of you will help us reach out to sufferers so we can help them on their way to balance. And I want to encourage you to enter. We have a, um, we have a raffle going on today, so if you're willing to share your email with us, um, you can be entered to receive a year-long subscription to our On the Level quarterly newsletter. So please be sure to share your email with us. Thank you so much.